You're listening to Red Tent Sisters, a podcast providing expert sisterly advice on women's most pressing reproductive and sexual health questions. Today on the podcast, we're speaking to Sarah Peel of Love Your Layers about how to dress with style while making ethical, empowered choices for you and the planet. Hello and welcome, Sarah. Hi, Amy. So happy to be here. Yeah, so happy to have you. This is such an exciting topic. I'm like, I was so thrilled (laughs) when you got in touch with us by email and we just got chatting about this topic because I just think it's such an exciting one and one that I've been kind of working on personally for the past um, couple of years, I think, just kind of really changing uh, my wardrobe to really um, kind of match the way that I want to feel in the world and my values. Exactly. Think, yeah. Dressing so really with think, intention. Exactly. Yeah. And I really think that our audience um, and our community is going to appreciate this call. So thank you for being here. Welcome. Um, you have a quote on your site about fashion versus style. Tell us a little bit about how you see the difference between the two. All right. Yeah. I love that quote by Oscar de la Renta. And I'll just, uh, it's, that fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable. Style is more about being yourself. So uh, fashion, basically, we, and we tend to think that fashion and, and style are synonymous with each other, but fashion is very trend-based. And yeah. from a commerce point of view, it's essentially focused on brands getting you to buy as much as possible. <laughs> If you boil it right down, um, you know, we used to have, you know, the fall and winter season and spring, summer, and now we have mid-season collections that are coming out into stores. It's just about buy more. And because fashion is produced so fast and so cheaply, um, they've got to make up their money somewhere. So it's just about buy more and more and more, like, you know, and we know – Fashion looks dated when the trend is gone. Mm-hmm. So just look at, um, you know, the skinny jean versus now I see the trouser is coming back in or mm-hmm. the knee length pencil skirt versus a flowy ankle length maxi skirt or mint green was in for a long time. But before <laughs> that, emerald green was in. Right. right? So <laughs> whereas style, although it obviously involves the clothing and the accessories and shoes that you put on your body, it really does come from within, I think. It's part of the way you express who you are to the world. And it can be intentional or it can be unintentional. <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And I know we're going to be getting into that a little bit later in the call mm-hmm. as well. I'm really looking forward to talking about that a little bit more. So tell us a little bit about, um, before we get into that, I really want to hear a little bit about some of the environmental issues associated with the <coughs> industry, because I feel like um, I feel like this is not something that people necessarily think about when they're making environmental choices. Uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those commodities that um, the people who are trying to live more sustainably are, they're thinking about their transportation, their food their energy consumption, but then they just go to their closet and put the clothes on and mm-hmm. don't think about it. It's kind of like the last domain. Yeah. 
<laughs> so um, I don't want to overwhelm people, but, you know, fashion, does, the fashion industry does have a huge impact on, on the environment, particularly, you know, how the materials were produced, but also how we care for our clothing. So uh, for just three, from looking at it from three points of view, uh, water, um, it's, we say that there's 2,700 liters of water to make a conventional cotton t-shirt. That's, yeah, isn't that astounding? It's actually enough for 900 days of water use for one person. Oh my goodness. And that's because, mostly because cotton is a very water intensive crop to grow. Mm -hmm. So when people are saying, oh, well, I'm going to choose natural fabrics like cotton, and they're not choosing organic cotton, they're not realizing that that cotton actually has a massive uh, waterfront footprint. Uh, Then if you look at waste, they say that the average Canadian tosses away 32 kilograms of textiles a year. Uh, That's like the equivalent of, um, I actually just measured my skinny jeans this morning to see how many (laughs) grams they weigh. Um, And my jeans were actually 500 grams. So... That's equivalent to like 60 pairs of skinny jeans. Yeah. Skinny jeans. That's crazy. Now, most of us don't throw that out, but that's like, you know, mm-hmm. if you took the population of Canada and you took, you divided that by, um, or if you took the amount of textile waste in right. Canada and then you divided yeah. that by the population, that's what it kind of comes to. Right. A lot. And that's stuff that's not being recycled or reused. Wow. And then uh, I, one other stat. Uh, just to cover mm-hmm. um, a couple important areas is carbon. Um, back to the T-shirt. Uh, by some estimates, the average T-shirt travels 35,000 kilometers to get to your back, and that's equivalent to a trip around the world. Oh my goodness! So <laughs> yeah, and that's just because our global supply yeah, chain is just so large, and there's just so many different layers to. Right. Chain. Right. That makes sense. Wow. So how can we change this? What are some of your top tips for creating like a more sort of ethical and sustainable wardrobe? Uh, well, um, first of all, I'd say, you know, don't get overwhelmed. This is a process. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. I think that's, I just might yeah. be misquoting that, but you know, you've you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So if I could, um, first of all, buy less. Mm-hmm. Um, then I would say to find ways to give clothes a second life, mm-hmm. uh, participate in swaps, um, look at Virage sale and Kijiji to buy clothing for your children. Um, go to secondhand or consignment shops, um, purchase clothing that has been repurposed, like old sweaters that have been salvaged from the waste stream and then made into new fashion. Um, you can also learn how to mend or DIY or find a good tailor, mm-hmm. um, so those are some basic uh, – that doesn't involve you um, 
purchasing new. But now when you're thinking about new clothes and you're looking to shop in conventional stores, I would say, um, if you can, look for local and independent retailers. Mm -hmm. So at least you're supporting a local economy. Uh, You can look for brands that publish um, like a sustainability report or a corporate responsibility report on their website. Um, We're looking for progress, not perfection. Like, you know, if we want more companies to be taking sustainability and and, um, the ethics of um, laborers into mind, we need to encourage where they're at and for them not to feel like they're going to be criticized for small steps. So I would say progress, not perfection. So if you want to, we can talk about some examples later on, but I know Uh H&M, for example, and Levi's, they, uh, they produce sustainability reports every single year. And they're telling their story about, you know, how they're on this journey. Uh Um, And then lastly, I'd say you can invest in quality basics. Right. Uh, and special pieces that you'll love for a long time. So they can be eco designers. They could be um, well-made quality brands. And um, the way if you're on a budget, the way you approach those purchases is that you look at it um, in terms of cost per wear. So, for example, I have a dress that I absolutely love uh, by a designer who uh, salvages lace and high-quality textiles from France and Italy. And it's this mm-hmm. amazing dress. It, it, it does not go out of style, but I spent $250 on it. Yeah. But I've worn it 25 times, and I mm-hmm. probably will wear it another 25 times because it's well-made. Yeah. So that, that means that each wear is like $10. I mean, that's cheap. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. So if you look at it that way, um, I have lots of friends who uh, who love their couponing and they love to get as cheap as possible. But they look at the sticker price; they don't think cost per wear. And so right. I always try to encourage them to, yeah, okay, you're on a budget, but you know, also look at it this way: it's an investment. Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea because I certainly, you know, my sister and I um, do a fair share of our shopping uh, when we go to visit our dad in Nova Scotia. There's this place called Frenchies, and anyone who's been to Nova Scotia probably knows Frenchies, and they Mm -hmm. dump these big buckets of clothing that have been kind of, I guess they haven't sold in places like New York or whatever, and they get shipped up. And uh, uh, we get, you know, an entirely new wardrobe usually for about $50, but, you know, a lot of the clothing is not terribly well made, and so... Um, you know, I tend to go through it very quickly. You know, it starts, mm-hmm. um, you know, tearing or breaking down after one or two seasons. Um, so then I have other pieces, you know, like a, a coat I can remember that I purchased after, you know, booking one of my first um, fertility clients. And it's kind of a treat to myself. I went out and mm-hmm. I bought this beautiful coat from the one of a kind show from a local Toronto designer. And yeah, it was almost $300 and it felt so extravagant, but it's a beautifully made coat and it's held up really, really well. I've worn it through um, multiple winter seasons in Toronto now. And I imagine that I will have it for probably at least a decade to come, I'm hoping, you know, and so it's exactly and that becomes part of your 
collection that you can go back to of well-loved pieces. Yeah. So it takes, it takes some time actually to, um, acquire a closet that's full of, of clothing that has a story behind it or has a, a lower environmental impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is possible little by little, you don't need to like go out and like start from scratch. No, 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 we don't want people to <laughs> yeah. do that. But, you know, little yeah. by little with each new purchase, start to think about these things. Yes, absolutely. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about that's kind of along these lines is this idea of kind of, um, you know, streamlining our wardrobes. You know, you've talked now about buying less and and there's obviously sort of an ethical and environmental um, positive side to that. But I think there's also a positive side in terms of, you know, reducing the number of decisions that we need to make. And I love um, sharing this thing that I recently uh, learned about Barack Obama, that after he became president, he started, you know, streamlining his wardrobe so that basically he wore exactly the same suit like every day. Mm -hmm. And he said it was because he had so many decisions to make in a day that, you know, it was just too exhausting to make, you know, wardrobe decisions in the morning. Yeah, you can't bear one more decision. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how kind of having a streamlined wardrobe can help set the right tone for a day, not just in terms of like minimizing decisions, but how else does it kind of help set up uh, a person's day and how they're going to feel for the day? Hmm. Yeah, I've um, I've heard about the Barack Obama um, piece, but also about uh, the same thing about Steve Jobs, oh. um, you know, in his black turtleneck. That was his mm-hmm. uniform. Yeah. Um, but yet he was a very creative guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is really applicable to women. They say that women work three jobs. You know, they, they have a job outside the home uh, mm-hmm. that brings in an income. Then there's household care, like, you know, the domestic management. And then mm-hmm. if there's children, then there's also the care of children. So there's so many things we need to accomplish in the day and so many ways for us to make positive impacts on the world. Why do we want to take hours a day away from that by stressing about what we want to wear in the morning, Mm -hmm. which is why I like to say, you know, I want women to wake up and find love in their closet in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I think it helps them to to have um, what I would call a working uniform, like a Mm -hmm. section of the closet that is um, just dedicated to, Everything here goes with everything else. Mm-hmm. And um, if we're talking about getting up and going to work outside the home, then, you know, maybe um, maybe it's all, everything is in shades of gray, black, cream, some patterns, but those are the staples. Yeah. And you know that everything goes together. And you really like the pieces, so it's not boring, but you don't have to spend a lot of mental energy putting yourself together in the morning. And then if you want to adapt with, you know, a colorful belt or things like that, that's, you know, you can just throw those together. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's um, the, the advantages of that is, um, you know, also th- those pieces that they know look good on them and look good on their body type. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that putting that kind of a wardrobe together helps um, women esteem their body and their personality. Um, 
um, loving the choice that they have in their closet, um, knowing that there was love in the provenance of those garments, and then to get dressed with more joy and intention, uh, but also ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's I like that. um, that's the main advantages of um, of having a section mm-hmm. of your closet that is your working uniform. You know everything goes together, um, but also that it looks good on you and looks good on your on your body, and you, you know where those clothing that those those pieces come from, and you know the story behind them. Yeah, that's great. So along a similar uh, lines, I've recently been hearing about the idea of a capsule wardrobe, which I think I've actually been uh, doing, even though I didn't know that was what mm-hmm. it was called for the past couple of years. Um, and I think this has kind of a, a similar concept in that you're kind of streamlining and, and getting, you know, a particular set of clothing that in this case works with a particular season rather than, um, you know, going to work or a particular uh, role that you play. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what a capsule wardrobe is and kind of how you would go about creating one? Uh, right. Yeah. Capsule wardrobe is a collection of a few essential items of clothing that uh, they don't go out of fashion. Um, or they can be. I mean, if you're thinking seasonable, they, they could be some trendy, trendier pieces. If you're thinking of like, you know, my capsule wardrobe for spring, summer 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also be just your capsule of clothing that you go back to every spring and summer or every fall and winter. And so there are pieces in there. So you've got skirts, some trousers, a coat, um, a couple pairs of shoes. Um, a shirt, you know, usually it ends up being about seven items mm-hmm. that are interchangeable. So going back to that, you know, the whole idea of the working, mm-hmm. the working uniform. Um, but they're pieces that are interchangeable. You know, they all go together. There's so many different ways you can wear them. And so it feels like you've got a new look every time you put those pieces together in a different way. Mm-hmm. And um, you can make your getting dressed easier in the morning if, you know, if you've got your capsule for spring and summer or fall or winter and you bring that to the front of your closet and remove everything else to the back of your closet. If you've got a closet that's big enough, if you've got a walk-in mm-hmm. closet, then kind of a little bit of reorganization each summer or each yeah. season mm-hmm. um, so that the things that you are going to be wearing during that time are easy access. They're right there. And, um, mm-hmm. and what I love about this is that it again comes back to kind of like reducing sort of the cloud, the clutter and making decisions easier and that you don't have to look at so much stuff, right? Like you only, if there's only eight or 10 items there, it makes it a lot easier to choose what you're going to wear for that day than if your closet is stuffed to the brim with clothing from four different seasons and you have to, have to rummage through everything to kind of find something that's appropriate, right? Yeah, so. the, the classic um, <laughs> scene of like pieces of items of clothing flying out the closet. Yeah. <laughs> Cursing. <laughs> yeah. I've actually taken to... Um, basically boxing up my seasonal clothing um mm-hmm. in kind of like um big plastic uh reusable tubs and and I've got each one kind of labeled for the season so I put them away when I'm kind of done with the season and what I really love about this is that 
it means that every, you know, three or four months when it's a new season, I basically get to open up a whole new wardrobe. So, you know, you don't get that sense of like being tired of your clothing in the same way because you're really only wearing it for three or four months and then it's kind of out of mind. And then, you know, a year later you come back to me, oh, I completely forgot about this piece of clothing or, you know, a favorite piece of clothing that you haven't worn in nine months or something. And it just feels really exciting. Yeah, I do that too. And I actually have that experience where, you know, a piece of clothing that I've had for years and I've actually forgotten about it when I bring it out yeah. on a half year. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. Um, one of the things that you reference on uh, your website is the idea of emotional durability when it comes to clothing. Can you tell our audience and our community a little bit about what this means? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, emotional durability is basically clothing that has a story behind it for us in some ways. Um, like I was talking about the dress that um, that I purchased, the designer dress mm-hmm. that um, was made from rescued pieces from lace and textile factories in, in Italy mm-hmm. and in France. And I love the story behind it. Yeah. Um, it also, um, I think it alludes to a care in the creation of the garment mm-hmm. um, that then, um that allows it to have that emotional durability. Um, uh, It it usually requires a bit more of a dollar investment. Um, But again, if we get back to that cost per wear, then then it seems not as prohibitive. But um, yeah, I, uh, I like to say that it comes from the story behind the garment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you um, read up on the factory in Montreal where that dress was made. And mm-hmm. so you know something a little bit more about that. And so that when you put it on, you almost feel like you're putting affection on your body mm-hmm. in a kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I um my sister and I do not do a lot of clothing shopping, um, but one of my favorite times to shop is when I am traveling because then, you know, the clothing, when I put it on, it reminds me of, you know, vacations or time spent with loved ones in exotic cities. And, you know, it's, it becomes um, a useful uh, souvenir, basically, rather than buying, you know, tchotchkes <laughs> when I'm traveling. Exactly. I try to buy clothing that I feel, you know, really good about. And, and it's yeah. even better when Art it does have a, a story behind it. You know, right. like when Art you've met the person who makes or... it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so I think if we had more of that in our wardrobes, we mm-hmm. would probably feel less of a need to shop all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just like you can use the analogy of fast food. Like, you know, um, if all you're eating is fast food, it just doesn't, it fills you up, but it doesn't satisfy. Whereas if yeah. you were eating nutrient dense food that was um, prepared by made you with love, or made with love. love. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It has that feeling of satisfaction. And yeah. um, and I think if we're going to be stepping back from 
the fast participating as much in the fast fashion world mm-hmm. that we need to have that emotional durability. There needs to be something that fills the hole that before mm-hmm. just overconsumption was filling a hole. So yeah. if we take that away, what's going to fill that? Mm-hmm. Well, we need the emotional connection. Yeah. And so shopping with more mindfulness, um, more intention of who we want to express ourselves to the world and with the story behind it, I think it would really nurture that need in us. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your own personal checklist of um, things that you consider when you're buying a piece of clothing. So I think we've covered quite a few of them, but I'm wondering if you can kind of distill it down a little bit for our listeners so that they can maybe have a few things in mind, a little mental checklist or maybe even a written checklist <laughs> for when they're going shopping. Mm-hmm. Well, first is, do I need it? Mm-hmm. Um, or would it give me pleasure? Mm-hmm. Just referencing that, you know, that emotional yeah. need. Because yeah. we can't always be super practical. Sometimes it's just something you're just like, that is so beautiful. I must have that. Yeah. Um, can we, can I wear it three to five different ways? Mm. Yeah, or can it be worn in, if I layer this with different things? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, uh, from, you know, con- from a conventional shop in the mall, mm-hmm. um, you know, does that company publish a sustainability or, um, a corporate responsibility report? So I guess that requires a little bit of research before you go to the mall. And sometimes when you're in the mall, the whole thing is designed to make you feel like you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, wait, if you see something that you really want in the mall, and it captures you there in the window. If you can say that you really still should buy that three hours later or even a day later, mm-hmm. okay. So just, you know, try to avoid the, um, what's the word for it? The um, impulsivity or, the, yeah. yeah, the impulse purchase. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're going to, like, I, I would I love to support um, Canadian designers, but just because they're Canadian designers doesn't mean that um, they're really paying it. They could be a fast fashion brand. Right. Um, uh, You know, that it's only designed in Canada. It's not made in Canada. Um, There's no sustainability or ethical story behind it. So if you, if you want to support, Canadian designers, which I'd really encourage people to do for, you know, a couple pieces that mm-hmm. you, you look into them. I mean, most of their websites, you know, when you're an individual designer or you're a small firm, you, your branding is so key and the way you tell the story about the clothing is so key. So many of them will tell a story about, you know, um, you know, how they go about creating their look and what their brand is all about from an emotional point of view, but also, you know, in the, the actual um, physical look of it. So yeah, you can often find um, little tidbits of, you know, uh, of um, hints. Sometimes sometimes they don't come right out and say like, you know, this was created um, ethically in, um, by uh, peace workers in Montreal who were made 
who, who made a living wage, they'll, they'll say it in some kind of like art speak, but you, you get the impression that that's, mm-hmm. that's important to them. So they bring that yeah. sustainability or the ethical story out in their, in their branding. And so if you do a little bit of research on them, you'll find that, oh yeah, I might want to support this designer. And then there are some designers who are straight up, I'm all about um, durable designs, you know, sustainable choices of fabrics, um, those kinds of things. So, yeah, I totally encourage, you know, Mm -hmm. buy Canadian designers, but do a little bit of research first. Yeah. All right. Great. And what about fabrics? You mentioned earlier about, you know, the the water consumption for cotton, for example. So what are some of the better fabrics for people to be looking at? I recently discovered last year that um, bamboo, which I thought was super eco, is actually one of the worst fabrics in terms of the environmental cost and making it. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. Uh, Yeah, bamboo is, um, well, I think, that there's an assumption that it's an eco fabric because bamboo itself, when it's grown as a crop, uh, the roots are slightly antimicrobial. So it, it grows very well without pesticide. It can be grown organically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite sustainable, it's re- I think. Yeah. Like, easy yeah. To- and mm-hmm. it's easy and it's fast to grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a renewable resource. Um, however, when you're making that um, beautiful knit, fiber from bamboo uh and it's never seen bamboo it's very coarse like mm-hmm. you can make bamboo fabric uh, you can make you can weave it and make a linen and then it's quite coarse but that mm-hmm. but what most people see in the stores is bamboo from knit mm-hmm. and it's so silky and soft and um the way they do that is they liquefy the pulp in a chemical bath yeah. and then they extrude the fibers, um, release the water, and then they spin that into the thread, which they then knit into bamboo rayon. Right. Um, so the reason why that is not, definitely not environmentally friendly is because um, most textile mills will just release that water into, like, out into um, – the water source that's a, right. yeah exactly yeah. uh however there are companies that produce bamboo in a closed loop manufacturing process so that means that any water that was used to dye the fabric or to create that chemical pulp mm-hmm. is kept within the cycle in in within the the factory that the water is cleaned Mm-hmm. Uh, and then repurpose to do the whole process all over and over and over again. So that's what closed oh, loop means. Okay. So you can find, mm-hmm. um, it would be nice if there was a label mm-hmm. that described all of this. But And I think the industry is kind of working on that. But, I mean, there's really a lot of education that goes into um, making a purchase. If you really want to know all the details of how fabrics mm-hmm. are made and, yeah, so it, it can be a little bit intimidating, but just so you know, you know, there, bamboo is amazing, especially mm-hmm. if you can find it, um, find fabric that's made in a closed loop um, okay. that's good environment. I know right. there is one, there's one designer that I know, uh, Canadian designer that I know, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you want me to name names here. Yeah, um, sure. No, I think that would be helpful, actually. Yeah, Mick, uh, M-I-I-K dot C-A. Okay. Um, all of their bamboo stuff is, is textile is made in a closed loop system. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. And what about other um, fabrics? Anything in particular that you think is, is a particularly you know, sustainable, environmentally friendly fabric to be looking for? Well, cotton is great if you can find it um, organic. certified organic. Yeah. Yeah. And what about what do you think about hemp? Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, if it's um, made into knit, again, if it's mm-hmm. not closed loop, then it's not as environmentally friendly. But I mean, I guess there's different there's different degrees, right? If you're yeah. looking at everything in the supply chain from the way it was grown to the way the fabric was produced, you know, at least bamboo, even if it's not made closed loop, at least that um, raw material didn't have high chemical input at that point. You right. Know, it's the same with yeah. hemp or, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, I love silk. Yeah. Absolutely love silk. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's great in the summer or the winter. It's, you know, insulating in the winter and it's cool and flowy in the summer. Mm-hmm. And there's way, there are um, silks that you can buy that are vegan, meaning that the worm was actually harvested from the cocoon before. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's called peace silk or vegan silk. Okay. Yeah, and you can look for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll try to include a link to that maybe um, in the post when we post this uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good idea. Good. So for people, you've touched on this a little bit, but for people who live in rural areas who may not have access to kind of craft shows or, you know, local designers, are there online stores or chains, um, you mentioned H&M, for example, that you kind of recommend that are better than others? Yeah, sure. Um, I really love the social selling site called Trend Trunk. It's oh, okay. a it's a Canadian uh, site that's just it's basically like Kijiji or Garage Sale just for clothes. So oh. you can sell your clothes and you can buy other people's clothes, and they've got a great system for shipping and handling. And mm-hmm. it's a member based and very very affordable. So mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend Trend Trunk. There's also Modvanti M O D V A N T I dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, all of their designers have gone through, um, uh, they label them, you know, according to, you know, whether it's vegan or fair trade certified or organic. Right. Um, and the, those pieces are definitely high fashion. Like they're like, um, mm-hmm. really great design. Uh, also Zadie.com is a new one on the scene. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Zadie or Zadie with a V? Uh, Z Z A D Y dot com. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then one last one. Uh, mm-hmm. Fashion Takes Action is a Canadian nonprofit that uh, does education for consumers in the fashion industry. And uh, designers um, who are bringing sustainability and ethics into their design can become members of Fashion Takes Action. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Fashion Takes Action's website and look at their member profiles, um, then you can you then there's the contact information and any of their online shops 
you'll see there. So that's also a way to buy direct from them. That's terrific. Thank you so much. This has been really helpful. Um, I know that some of our listeners are going to want to learn more and uh, perhaps work with you. I know you do um, one-on-one consults. So can you tell our listeners mm-hmm. a little bit about the work that you do and how they can find you? All right. Yeah, I do work one-on-one with clients to um, – it can be anything from restyling an, an outfit or two uh, – and by restyle, I mean uh, finding what's already in their closet and helping them love it again by reaccessorizing it or um, taking it to a tailor to have it um, re- repurposed or even just refit for their body. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with um, a lot of women after um, after child, uh, after pregnancy, when their bodies have changed. Um, women who have gone, you know, they've been really starting to eat right and gone to boot camps and their body has changed again and their clothes don't fit them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love working with women after some kind of transformation has happened in their life. And then, then when they go to their closet, they start to feel that unhappiness with, oh, nothing fits me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that in person, but um, I, I also work online. I can work through Skype and um, hangouts and things like that where we can do consults virtually. Um, people can find me on Instagram at uh, Sarah P. Restyles. And um, I'm actually going to be doing my own fall capsule collection. It's, um, it's part of a restyle challenge, I'm calling it. I'm going to put together... Uh, my entire fall wardrobe from consignment secondhand, and I'm going to restyle them. So, uh, yeah. Um, So, and I want other people to participate with me. I'm going to do it for my entire capsule. Um, So not everybody needs to go to that extreme, but if people want to do one or two outfits and then post their outfits, on Instagram and we can participate that way so I can see them and I'm going to have a hashtag and things like that. So if people want to follow me on Instagram, but also sign up for uh, my newsletter, which I call love notes, they can find that at www.loveyourlayers.com. And I'm guessing you're going to put some links. Yeah, we will. Yeah. So that's love your layers with you are for the, you are in the, in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then they can be the first to get the details of that. And um, my first e-course that I'm going to be putting out in the fall, uh, because, you know, even when we're adults and we're not going to school anymore, there's something about September and getting a new wardrobe. It's kind of like that back to school mm-hmm. feeling. Totally. And so I thought that would be a great time um, for people to sign up for my first e-course, which is basically we're going to, it's basically taking uh, the restyle challenge a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. so they can sign up um, uh, for love notes, my, my newsletter on the website and be the first to hear about that. Terrific. That's so exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. It's been such a pleasure and it's been really educational. I've got little notes that I've been taking for my own personal use. And uh, (laughs) yeah, we look forward to to being in touch and uh, 
best of luck with your course in the fall. I'm sure that will be really exciting. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Red Tent Sisters, the podcast. We're Kim and Amy Sedgwick, co-founders of Red Tent Sisters, a business dedicated to providing holistic fertility, sexuality, and contraceptive solutions. If you have something you'd like to share about this week's topic, we invite you to join the conversation on our Facebook page. Or if you have a question you'd like to hear addressed on the show or have an expert you'd like to see interviewed here, please send us an email at thesisters at redtensisters.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Red Ten Sisters, the podcast, for more great tips on how to resolve your feminine concerns and live a vibrant, passionate life naturally. Thanks for listening.